Welcome to the Building the Elite Podcast, where we discuss the physical, mental, and emotional aspects of human performance within military special operations by looking at the principles that can help anyone thrive in chaotic and challenging environments. This is Craig from BTE. Special operations selection teaches you to rethink your relationship with pain. You learn that you can hurt fast or hurt slow. The discomfort of doing something with a painful but partial effort isn't meaningfully different from the pain of giving it everything you have. One is just slower, and when it's over, you wouldn't really remember the difference. For instance, say you're running at a 6.10 per mile pace, and that's right at the limit of what you've been able to do in the past. It's uncomfortable, but it's a familiar and tolerable discomfort. You know you can do it. It's the easy kind of difficult. But then one day, you're running with a training partner, or maybe a pack of fellow selection candidates, who's a faster runner. Your training partner picks up their pace and holds just below six minutes per mile. You push harder to keep up and hang on. In doing so, you're breaking out of your usual comfort zone. This pace hurts a lot. If you were in a car, you'd wonder about blowing up the engine. You shorten your mental horizons and start to think about keeping it together until the next tree up ahead. And then you keep running until the road sign after that. And then five more good exhales. You keep yourself focused on the immediate moment, managing your self-talk, and working on performance cues. And then it's over. You've just set a new personal record for your runtime, and you did it by pushing further into pain than you were accustomed to. It wasn't really your body that was in question. It was the ability of your mind to stay in the driver's seat. Afterward, you realize that your new pace didn't hurt that much more than your previous pace, and that you were capable of doing it the whole time. Whether you were maxed out or holding back just a little bit, it's all just a blur of pain. So you may as well hurt fast. This concept applies regularly during the competitive beatdown events that are a mainstay of soft selection courses. As they say, it pays to be a winner. And almost every day, you'll find yourself in the middle of something designed to sort the winners from the people who will accept their place at the back of the pack in exchange for just a little bit less discomfort. For example, you may be running sprints up and down a sand berm after a morning of wet and sandy beatdowns. You know that the first few people to make it to the top of the sand berm will catch a break and get to drink water and recover while everyone else goes back for another round of sprints. These moments are ways of teaching you to normalize pain. For this world to become your home and to eventually succeed in it, you have to think of pain not as something to be avoided as often as possible, but as a component of a strategy. There is productive pain that helps you get something done, and there's useless pain. So, in this workout, sprinting up and down sand berms while instructors with bullhorns watch you and search for signs of weakness, you have a choice. You can put everything you have into being at the front of the pack. It's going to hurt relatively more to do so, but then it pays off in the form of rest and recovery. This is option A, productive pain. Hurting just a little bit less and staying in the middle or back of the pack still costs you pain and energy, but it also doesn't help you. It may acutely worsen your circumstances depending on how closely the instructors are watching you. This is option B, unproductive pain. 
In other words, you can hurt fast or you can hurt slow. When it's all over, it's all a blur of suffering and the subtle distinctions won't have mattered. What will matter is what you accomplished with that pain. There's another side to this coin. You don't always need to crush yourself. The most resilient people know when it's time to put everything on the line and when it's smarter to be as efficient as possible. Pacing and self-regulation are important. You can't just run around with the gas pedal to the floor all the time. So there's a strategy for pacing or relative effort level during selection. When do you know when to give something everything that you have and when can you throttle back? Short answer, 100% effort most of the time. Conserve energy when it doesn't affect your performance evaluation, negatively impact your teammates, and you won't get caught. Many events in selection are closely monitored. They're designed to provide insights into your mind through your behavior under extreme physical discomfort. Specific standards, such as a timed run, swim, or ruck, or physical screen tests, all do this. What is in many ways more challenging is when you're being compared against a standard, but you don't know what that standard is. For example, many of the ruck events in courses like Special Forces Selection in the U.S., RASP for Army Rangers, and British SAS Selection work this way. You don't know what exactly your pace needs to be, you just know that it needs to be fast and it should probably hurt the whole time. Another form of evaluation assesses team dynamics. Whether it's under the logs at BUDS, the hawser ropes at SWIC selection, or the chain of pain in Marine Scout Sniper selection, you're going to do something horrible over and over in a small group. Nobody really cares how many reps you've done. The instructors are watching to see who the honest dogs are, In other words, the people who keep putting out, giving maximal effort, and supporting their team no matter how tired they are, and who lets their teammates carry the weight instead. In any of these situations, if your mind breaks before your body and you give less than 100% effort, you will probably go away. There are, however, situations that lend themselves to economy when you want to get through it at the lowest cost. For example, you don't want to crush yourself on the unsupervised run back from breakfast and impair your performance on the time obstacle course right after. Or if you're in the middle of a beatdown and the instructor has his back turned, you don't need to set the world record for Sandy Crotch burpees while nobody is watching. The important thing is that you're smart enough to know when you can harmlessly coast and not get caught in the process. There's a penalty for being dumb. Don't be that person. This idea of productive versus unproductive pain doesn't just apply to making it through SFAS or BUDS. It's a general principle. For instance, let's say you've got a long day of work ahead of you. You could spend your day being busy but unproductive and chasing pointless fires. You'll be at least mildly stressed and annoyed, and you're spending irreplaceable hours of your life at it. But when it's over, you've probably still neglected the heavy lifting on a more daunting but meaningful project that would have moved your career forward and bought you some future peace of mind. In either case, you're hurting in some way. You're giving up life and energy that you can never get back. And when it's over, the difference in pain or effort that you had to expend in order to do the going through the motions work 
isn't all that different from facing down the more challenging and important task. But only one form of that pain is productive. It's helpful to know some of the psychology and physiology behind these concepts. Our perceptions of pain and fatigue are much more malleable than one might think. They're essentially emotions, subject to all sorts of variables like the focus of our attention, our environment, our past experiences, and present data like the weather and even our mood. So, our bodies don't work like cars that stop going when they run out of gas. Fatigue is a complex mix of real-time feedback combined with predictions based on past experiences, meant to keep us safely within our physiological limits. Metabolically speaking, our bodies haven't hit their limits until we crash to the ground unconscious or unable to move. But our minds will start telling us that we're in danger or that we're at our limits well before we reach that point. A big part of what we're doing with training is learning to bring those two things closer together so that when our minds start telling us that we don't have much left, it's actually true. Open-ended workouts are one way of accounting for this. These are workouts in which you don't know the duration of the workout or what's coming next. These sessions just keep going until they're over so that your brain must adjust your pacing from I know I can do this for X number of miles or repetitions to I can do this for as long as I have to. By integrating these types of workouts and practicing the mental side of managing the uncertainty of them while pushing your body, you can adapt. You can learn how to accurately manage your as long as I have to pace, and it can be surprising how much we can handle under these conditions. This alters the future predictions of our capabilities so that they aren't limited by a fixed quantity of reps or distance. Training with fixed distances can also take advantage of this effect. Think about this the next time you do a short, painful workout. Running one mile, a 50-calorie airdyne test, or doing a 2K or 500-meter row on a Concept 2 are good examples. Whatever it is, pick the distance and go as fast as you can until it's over. You'll notice that regardless of the distance, fatigue peaks around the two-thirds mark. As you close out the last 10%, your fatigue lifts and you can finish stronger. That final burst of energy is known as inspert. Something interesting happens at the peak fatigue moment. Here, your brain will start to clamor with negative feedback. Your self-talk may turn into chicken little, telling you all sorts of stories about what might go wrong if you push any harder. As you finish the workout, those dire warnings of impending doom vanish, like waking from a dream. You'll realize that even though it hurt right at that peak fatigue moment, you weren't really going to die, pass out, puke, or poop your pants in front of your friends. Having reality checked your perceptions of fatigue, you'll now be able to repeat this event in the future with a more accurate prediction of your capability your brain will be a little more okay with the effort and will give you a little more output with less negative feedback. This calibration is an important part of training adaptations. We're not just changing muscles and mitochondria. We're changing the opinion that our brain has about the limits of our abilities 
and creating predictions that more accurately match what our bodies can do with what our minds allow us to do. Making these adaptations to training requires that we practice mindfulness and learn to tune into what's happening in our minds and more accurately sense and understand what's happening in our bodies. We have to become curious observers of our own thoughts and feelings. One of the most important areas to focus on is our self-talk and the secondary emotions that we feel when we're in pain. During challenging energy systems workouts, the harder you push, the more likely you are to develop a voice in the back of your mind chirping at you to slow down. It's usually hard to articulate what exactly we're worried about, but humans have a natural phobia around these limits. We're not always sure what will happen if we keep going into the pain, but we instinctively feel that it's going to be something bad. The further we go, the stronger that voice becomes. And to be clear, we're talking here about metabolic limits, not the limits of your ACLs or lumbar discs. Mechanical damage is clear and consequential. So is reinforcing a motor pattern that encourages it under stress. Doing a workout that hurts your joints isn't helpful. Doing one that hurts your soul a little bit sometimes is. It shouldn't happen too often, but once in a while, it's necessary. This brings up the importance of knowing the difference between hurt and harm. There's an old saying that if you're going to be dumb, you'd also better be tough. But it's more useful to say that if you're going to be tough, you'd also better be smart. Being tough and dumb usually means that you're going to hurt yourself. Despite what the t-shirts at Walmart say, pain isn't always weakness leaving the body. Sometimes it's a slap tear. So you have to be good at knowing when to push through an unexpectedly difficult workout and when to call it for that day. Pushing through can build important mental patterns around perseverance, but needlessly injuring yourself can set training back for a long time and kill your progress. There's no universal answer here, but a good rule of thumb is to base your decision on the likelihood of tissue damage. In other words, will pushing through this cause an injury or reinforce a motor pattern that will probably lead to one in the future? A healthy person can safely push the limits of their energy systems. You can reach metabolic failure in which you don't have enough left to keep cranking away on an airdyne, pushing a sled, or running at a given pace. In those cases, the worst thing that happens is you're tired and would like a snack. You do not, however, want to find the breaking points of your joints or tissues. These are the settings when people say, everything was going fine until I felt this pop. So if you're dragging a tire down the road as fast as you can and you feel like your lungs are going to explode, go for it. See if there's really a pot of gold at the end of that rainbow. If, however... You're doing sprints and you feel a sketchy tweak in your hamstring, shut it down and stop for the day. If you're halfway through a ruck and realize that it sucks way more than you'd planned, but you can still move well and breathe without collapsing your spine into a human question mark, keep going. As long as you're doing something that doesn't compromise your joints or tissue integrity, you've got a pretty safe margin to play with. It will hurt, but if you're a healthy athlete, it won't harm. Pushing to these limits can provide valuable insight and useful training avenues. The most important part of a system is the one that's most limiting. 
pushing your body and mind to the breaking points can help you identify what that limiting factor is. You can't uncover this without looking for it. You have to push hard enough that something gives and then analyze what it was. So try out a short workout that hurts. Drag a tire for a mile without stopping or do a 2K or 500 meter row on a rower, 50 calories on the airdyne, run a mile as fast as you can. You get the idea. Hard but simple. Hurt without harm. Limited by your willingness to continue, not your joint capsules. Right around the two-thirds mark of the workout, when the voice in your head is screaming for you to slow down and give in, don't. Challenge the demons in your mind to a staring match and see what breaks. When you're done, reflect on what was happening in your mind right at that peak moment. What was your self-talk? Pick apart your form, your breathing, posture, eye gaze, and on and on. What could you have done better to keep going in that moment? What gave out first? The next time that you're in that place, what can you do to stay stronger? That's it for today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please leave us a review and share it with somebody that you think would appreciate it. Please go to buildingtheelite.com where you can learn more about training for special operations, download a sample chapter of our book, access free selection training guides, and use our assessment profile tool in order to see how your physiological profile compares to what's needed to succeed in special operations selection.